Hey everyone, I'm Brenda. And I'm Julia. And you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. This podcast was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Today, we have on with us Tina Vanstenbergen. She is a professional speaker with a passion and a purpose for working with women. We are so excited to have her. She is truly everything we could need at the start of this new year. Tina, thank you so much for being with us. Hi, thank you for having me. This is what I need to start my year. So if it helps other people, great, but this is is it. This is going to bring me so much joy. So thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Yeah, we're going to get into all things about women, advocating for yourself, being confident in yourself, like all those things that we need to really like get this year running. I feel like at the start of the year, we all want to kind of kick it off with a bang and bring the best version of ourselves that we can. So I feel like this is going to start off everybody on a super, super positive note. So let's get into it. Tina, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from. If you don't mind saying how old you are since it's roaring 20. (laughs) I don't mind at all. Uh, Hi. My name is Tina Van Steenbergen. Like you've heard already, I'm a professional public speaker. I live in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Uh, This is where I was born and raised and moved away for a long time and just moved back here right before the pandemic. And I am 34. Had to do the math. Check the math on that one. I'm 34 years old. I don't, I haven't obviously shared this on the show yet, but I actually got to know who Tina was through one of the speaking events that we had with my sorority. And I just remember being so like taken back in such a positive way by the way that she speaks and the, the, like intention with which she shares stories and really helps people connect. Like there were women in my sorority. Of course, I had so many deep friendships, but I remember that once we did a couple of her activities, I felt deeply connected to women that, you know, there's so many people, you don't always get this, this close personal connection all the time, but it was so impactful. And honestly, your story, your talks, all of the things really made me consider, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I want to be a, a, a speaker as well. And that's something that I've shared with Julia a couple of times. Um, and I actually ended up going back to my sorority and doing something similar to what you did for them. And it just was so cool. So eye-opening. So anyways, you guys will hear all of the power that Tina has just a, a little taste of that on our show, but I'm so excited to have her here because it's really clear that our missions are deeply, deeply aligned. So Tina, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us how you kind of got to where you are today and what led you to really wanting to become a speaker. First of all, you should absolutely be a speaker. It's (laughs) such a dope job. And we need so many more women doing it. So please, by the way, do it. And we can talk later and make sure that that happens. (laughs) You'd be great at it and it matters. So uh, like literally all the things you're saying about building these relationships with these women during my program, like that's like, the home run for me, right? Like that, like gives me butterflies and sets my soul on fire. It's the whole point. So that's awesome. Thank you. That's really wonderful. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer and, or thought I wanted to be a teacher. Turns out I just wanted to talk and <laughs> we loved it. Talk. We, yeah. we loved yeah, it. Here. We love it. <laughs> so I, uh, I really very last minute, my senior year in college, I was headed to law school 
uh, and like had deposits paid and taken the offset. Like I was, I was on my way. And then very last minute I had like a pre-quarter life crisis of like, have you ever met a happy law student? No. And thank you for all of you that suffer through law school because it sucks and it's hard. And then you do really meaningful yeah. work in the world, but law school is not fun. Mm-hmm. And I was looking, I was staring it in the face being like, I don't want to do this. It's just what I'm supposed to do. And so I was really heavily involved as a student leader at my undergrad institution and my uh, venting to my advisor and some of my mentors about not wanting to go to law school. And that's when they clued me into the student affairs, higher education, you can work with college students as a job. Uh, And so that sent me on a path to graduate school and higher education and student affairs. And while doing that is when I started to really spend a lot of time in front of students facilitating and teaching programs. And that's when I was like, the rest of my job was what I needed to do to get to that part of my job, right? To get to the part where I get to stand up in front of people and make them think and make them laugh and make them have a conversation they haven't had before. And that's when I learned that I really enjoyed that work, but I still didn't know that it was a job, Mm. right? Like you meet teachers, you meet lawyers, you meet doctors, you don't meet a lot of public speakers, or at least I didn't realize that I had. And so I worked for my sorority right after I got my master's degree and spent a lot of time writing and then teaching educational programs. And the same experience happened again, like the writing and the sitting at my desk, which is such an important part of the work I do now. It's still a huge part of my life, but that was what I did 85% of the time. And then the 15% of the time I got to travel and work with sorority women or chapters, my soul was just like on fire. Let's go. It was my favorite part of my job. And so then I started to do some research about what is, is this, is this a thing? Can you do this as a job? And I was actually recruited by a company that works with sororities Mm -hmm. and does a lot of programming for them. And so about building better relationships and adding more women to our organizations. And so I was recruited by them and worked for them for almost four years. And it was such an important part of my story it's essentially like corporate training, right? Like your job is to take this manual that someone else has written and then go deliver it your way with your stories and your personality. And so it was such a cool way to learn how to become a speaker because I didn't have to like write this super original content or know what my message was yet because that wasn't the point. And so I got to know me and learn how to be a really successful public speaker on stage through my work with that group of people. And then right around that four-year mark is when I was like, but I think I have my own stuff to say. Mm. And I, I think I want to, I don't want to just teach somebody else's book. I want to teach what I want to say and what my message is. And so took some steps to leave that company and start my own business essentially and start to teach what I wanted the world to hear. And so that was September of 2016. So this September crossed my five-year mark of being on my own full-time, running my business and speaking. And I never, ever thought I wanted to be my own boss. I didn't know that was like, there are people that are like entrepreneurial majors now, right? Like this is, you go to school for this, this is a program. Like that was not my bag. I never thought that that would be my life. Now I know I could literally never go back to being supervised by somebody else. I could yeah. never like yeah. wear pants at an office on an eight to five month. Like, so my path was crooked and windy and led me none of the places I thought it was going to, but uh, it, it 
sitting here now as a business owner, it's crazy to feel so right when I never could have told you even five years ago or certainly 10 years ago that this is where I'd be sitting, right? And now I, I get to do work for myself and my family that I'm just absurdly passionate about. So it's, uh, I don't know how I got here, but I'm, I'm so grateful that this is the seat I get to sit in now, you know? Yep. Well, congratulations on five years. That is a huge accomplishment. And thank you for sharing your story because we, we love to ask that question to start off because there, there's just such a misconception that like you graduate college and you're going to have your dream job and you know exactly what you're doing and you're making top pay and you're doing the perfect thing and you're going to be there forever and you're going to be happy, blah, blah, blah. But like, I mean, more and more that we talk to people that we really admire most, I would say 99.9% of people's stories is that it wasn't exactly linear. And it yeah. kind of was like listening to the universe and letting one thing lead to the lead to another and really following that rather than just like winding up in the perfect place right away. It's usually kind of a journey. And I love, I love getting to hear people's stories about how they get there because it's such a good reminder of like for any 20 year old women out there that if you're not in your exact dream job right now like that's probably normal and that's cool and like it doesn't mean you're going to be there forever so yes I just yes. want that yeah and so I love that so you've started persist now um yeah. which please this is where you you've come to now after all of this journey <laughs> tell us the mission behind the conference and then we'll kind of like dig into all of that Oh my gosh. They're like, listen, this like gets me fired up to talk about. So as a part of own a man business, so I traditionally pre-COVID, I travel the country and I go speak at other people's conferences, other people's events, sometimes sorority chapter houses, sometimes corporations all over the place. Right. Um, and then the pandemic hit and it's really hard to be a public speaker when we can't go in public. That's not, that's not a thing. And so we had to like, right. I don't know how many times we're going to say this word pivot. We didn't have to pivot. We had to like figure out a new business. Yep. Like what are we really? supposed to do? Yeah. Yep. Um, and in the beginning of the pandemic, I think a lot of us had a wide array of reactions. I live with Anne and Mary, two slash business partners with one of those humans that was like, we've been given the gift of time. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to start oh, working out. Right. I'm going to learn how to do 17 things. How optimistic. And... No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Good for you, husband. Love you. Mean it. I am going to drink box wine and do puzzles and watch Boy Meets World because I can't, yeah. I can't work. Yeah. I can't live. I can't do any of the things <laughs> I want to do. Like I vividly remember standing in our kitchen crossing my arms like a teenager and like stomping my feet like a toddler yeah. being like what I do can't be done virtually yep, yep. I won't do virtual programming and now you're like lol that's yeah. uh, yep. <laughs> like so I say all that to say the pandemic did not help like I had a rough time I had a rough time adjusting learning how to do my job virtually all of those things were challenging for a lot of us, right? And then I think my husband and I took, we started in different places and then almost like crisscross midair and ended up in the opposite. So then he eventually had his like, what is happening? What are we doing? This is terrible. I hate my life moment. And I eventually got to, uh, if this is our life for a while, then I'm going to do something that matters because I... There was all of this energy of, I don't get to do the job that I love to do. And doing it on Zoom is amazing and teach 
I've learned so many things and we can, it's actually, there've been some benefits to the Zoom educational experiences. We can be more vulnerable. Women share more things than they do in person because never, not everybody is staring at them because sometimes all they have to do is send it in a chat. And so there's been some really cool things that have come out of Zoom programming. But for me, it was like, if I don't get to do the job that I want to do the way I want to do it, then I have to create, I have to do something that feels in line with what I want to do, as opposed to just continuing to wait out. When do we get to get on a plane again? Right. And years and years and years ago, I was journaling, like as I was starting my business, like, what could this be? What could this do? And I actually think I have it like right here. I wrote it on a post-it. I want to create a women's conference. Wow. I'm like, this post-it no longer sticks to things, right? This is how long we've had this piece of paper in my life. And I like wrote it down, like, I want it to be about women in college. I want it to be about communication and diversity Mm. and inclusion and empowerment. And so I wrote all of a sudden on a post-it. And so then when I started to like, what could I do? What could I create instead of just feeling sorry for myself? And of course, the preference would be to create a conference in person. And don't worry, we will. But there's actually a lot lower thresholds for uh, creating a conference virtually. Because you don't have to worry about food and beverage and all of the costs and what if nobody got right. So I was able to start to envision a virtual conference. And so that's what Persist was in its very first form. Uh, Persist is called Persist, a badass women's conference, because that's what it is. It's badass women coming together to have badass conversations. And we Mm -hmm. had conversations about confidence and failing and inclusion and equity and uh, sexual assaults and uh, tapping into your power, communication skills. Like y'all, it was so dope. I had this like badass roster of women speakers in my life that I've all, I've seen them all speak. I'm blown away by all of them. They got to come in and do sessions. We had over 120 people register for this event and it was all virtual, which isn't necessarily the dream. But like I said, we were able to do some cool things with it. And It was just the beginning of what Persist will be. There will be Persist in person. There will be a Persist college experience for collegiate women. There'll be Persist for non-collegiate women. Because turns out all the shit we deal with in our 20s, 30, 40, 50, 60 year old women still have all those problems. We just don't have mandatory that. We're learning that. (laughs) Right? So like we need it too. So They'll be persist in person at least once a year, if not twice. And I just, I believe so deeply in sisterhood and communities of women. And so I created one and I freaking love it. I love it. That's so beautiful. And I'm so glad that these, that this exists and that there are more things that people are trying to create for community and connection and vulnerability and it's just, it's, it's so powerful because I do think that a lot of people, what we've been finding, just like you said, is that yes, of course, these things exist in our twenties. That's part of why we have the show is not because we think all this stuff only happens in your twenties, but because we're hoping to expose these things now so that we can get out ahead of it and be prepared for these obstacles and challenges and feelings and all the stuff that's going to continue to be, you know, repetitive cycles in our lives so that we can better navigate them using experts like you um, to give us all those tips to make us, you know, navigate through it a little bit more easily. So I'm so glad that this exists and love everything that you're doing. Um, and specifically, one of the things that you really focus on is advocacy. So why do you think 
that women struggle so much with advocating for themselves, whether it's at work, whether it's maybe at home in a relationship, like why, why do you think this is? Flea and I had such a long conversation the other day about how even we feel that we, um, so sometimes we're like, oh yeah, I'm confident. And then in other moments where we really undervalue ourselves, you know, and we kind of walk on eggshells or don't own that we have certain skills. So anyways, why, why do you think that is? first of all, I'm so glad that you shared that you all are having that moment, right? Because let's pause. You've also created something badass that brings women together and have meaningful conversation, right? Like you're doing it right now. And so it's really easy to watch, look at your Instagram and watch your stories and watch your show and be like, these these women have it together. Like I did not have it together in my twenties like that, right? Like, and so it's, I'm so grateful that you shared that because I think it's really easy to when you see the highlight reel, it's mm-hmm. easy to be like, look at all these confident, badass women. Look mm-hmm. at these women running their own businesses and creating their own experiences and having these vulnerable conversations and only still see yeah. the power, yeah. right? Yeah. And not see the moments where we feel like the power is lowered or the candles mm-hmm. dimmed or we, we don't feel as confident. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to put those stories on the internet. And even if we did, people don't like to watch them as much because we go to the internet to escape. And so even if we all just, even if my whole Instagram account was every day that I cried, I don't know that I would get as much traffic on my social yeah. media because it's not, yeah. that's not what everybody's looking for all the time. Right. And so I'm grateful that you shared that. And I, I think your question is powerful because it's so easy to forget that every single human, maybe with the exception of like the worst of the worst straight white men in the world who have no awareness, <laughs> Uh, But like, for the most part, I would say most humans, regardless of gender identity, have moments where they don't feel powerful, where they feel like they have to shrink themselves. Mm -hmm. I believe based on my lived experience and all the work that I get to do in communities of women, I believe that experience is definitely more profoundly present for women because we live in a society that both explicitly and then very sneakily, implicitly teaches us to shrink ourselves, teaches us that we are not worthy of advocating for ourselves or standing up for ourselves or taking up space in the world. And we get a lot of those messages, like I said, explicitly, right? When someone is yelling them at you, it is January. So every message in the world is about how you're only worthy if you lose weight. And the only thing that you should do right now is focus on taking care of your body, which actually means getting your body smaller. So we get a lot of that messaging, right? Shrink yourself, make sure that you're smaller than you were yesterday. That's how you're supposed to be valuable. But we also get it implicitly when somebody cuts us off in the middle of a sentence at work, or somebody doesn't acknowledge that you're in the room or doesn't acknowledge that you've been CC'd on the email or um, pushes right past you like you don't matter or looks at you sideways, looks at you sideways when you sit next to them on a plane or when you speak up and ask a question. And so we get this messaging all of the time, whether or not we're aware of it, that we are supposed to, women are supposed to shrink ourselves to make other people comfortable. And so if my job is to make other people comfortable, then it's not about advocating for me. And then that messaging turns into, then when you do advocate for you, you're just being selfish. You're just being a bitch. You're just being mean. You're just, you're just taking up more space than it. Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And we see that messaging in our culture all the time. The way we see women torn down who do take up space and who do advocate. And so it's, uh, it's so pervasive that we do it at work, in our relationships, in our emails, in the way we talk to our friends, even though they share the same identities we do, right? And so I don't, 
I don't even know if it's one specific space or one specific mm -hmm. industry. I think it is, I feel like it's coming at us from all directions. Oh yeah. yeah. And I don't even know how to put on the noise canceling headphones big enough yeah. to turn down all of those messages. You know, where do you all feel the world telling you that you're not supposed to advocate for yourself? Where does that show up in your world? Yeah, I, I think for me, it definitely comes up in so many different ways when it comes to like claiming identities or skills, like when it comes to being like a creative person. Um, I talked to Julia about this a lot. We actually met when we were um, in elementary school, technically, but all growing up, we did theater together. And Julia is obviously an actor and pursuing this wonderful dream that will uh, come to fruition because she works so hard. But there are certain things with like music or singing or creativity um, that I just never feel I feel like because I didn't have the quote unquote courage, right, um, to pursue something like that. And I didn't do these hard things that people did dealing with rejection and all the things that I can't like participate in those things. Mm -hmm. um, and I, th I think stuff like that shows up all the time. And this was part of our conversation the other day where even when it comes to certain skills that maybe I don't have a degree in, right? Like there's a lot that I've learned about sales and marketing and things that I know I have a strength in, but I don't, you know, I'll always undervalue it. If somebody says, oh, you're really good at that. I'll be like, yeah, but you know, I, I, I didn't go to school for it. You know, <laughs> like I'm always undermining that. So definitely in those ways. And I think it absolutely shows up with my male counterpart counterparts at work. Um, even if I do feel like I have like a leadership role or that people respect me, I think I'm constantly second guessing myself, second guessing if I'm actually like worthy of being in the position that I'm in. Um, and I definitely struggle with advocating for myself when it comes to like financial compensation. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like I backtrack a lot. So there's all, all the things yes. <laughs> in many areas, even yes. with the active work that I feel like I do to um, build up my self-belief and my confidence. And it, I've absolutely grown in so many ways, but still come up against some obstacles. Preach. Yes. Julia, what about you? Yeah, I, ha I have two big ones. One similar to Brenda with work. Like I have to, part of, part of my job is every job is a new job. So I have to negotiate contracts for every new job that I do. My agent does that, but I have to play a role in that. And like asking for what I really want in a negotiation is fucking hard. And then after it's I don't so do it, then I like beat up myself I'm like no you're worth that like extra damn pay like you should ask for it why didn't you ask for it because the truth is is that you're never going to get anything that you don't fucking ask for and you really have mm -hmm. to like learn how to ask for things because the worst is that they say no but like there is that fear I think um you know especially for me like oh well I can't ask for that yet because I'm not like big enough yet or I don't have enough credits yet or I don't have like this yet but so so advocating for myself in, in negotiations um, and definitely in terms of like money and treatment and jobs, that's really hard. And also the one that I was thinking of when Brenda was talking is like, sometimes I also have trouble advocating for myself and like telling the people that I love that I just need time for myself. Like I have like mm -hmm. so many incredible people in my life and I am an extrovert and I love being around people and I love, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a caretaker by nature. I love taking care of people, but sometimes it's like, I just need 20 minutes to just like go sit and like meditate. Like, and sometimes I feel like not, not because I think that they'll say no or judge me for it. I just feel sure. like sometimes I can't ask for it. And, yeah. you know, I think that a lot of women have that of like needing to feeling afraid to like ask for time for yourself, which is just yes. like, something that we all need and is so basic and when we give that time for ourselves we usually we can show up better for others 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And Tina, I would love to know if you have any like kind of go-to tips or tools or tricks that you use when these things come up for you mm-hmm. or that you would give to like advice for me and Brenda or another woman in her twenties that are, are having these kind of uh, challenges. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, not, I certainly don't have a rule book or like, uh, take these three steps and then you'll be the most self-advocate woman in the world. Like that's not a thing. Um, (laughs) and because it, to Brenda's point, right? Like you create this space and you all have done work in this department. You're aware and you're still doing it. And I get on stages and teach it and I'm still doing it. James. So one of the things that I talk a lot about is apologizing, right? That the word sorry has become this word that we, especially women, use a lot. And there's actually a whole lot of research about the way that that damages your self-esteem and the way that you show up in the world and um, the way other people view you and the way you view yourself. But we don't think about it critically. It's just we're on autopilot saying sorry all the time. So I teach this, right? I get up on stage and say this out loud to people. And then the other day, my husband's walking around. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I can't find my wallet. And I looked at him. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. And he stopped to distract. He's like, why are you sorry? Yeah, And it wasn't, it wasn't one of those sorries, like, oh, I'm sorry, that's happening to you. Mm. I literally paused and reflected and it was like, in this moment, I feel like I'm supposed to know where your wallet is Yeah, and mm-hmm. I don't know. And I feel like I, I owe you an apology for that. Yeah. What? That's that bananas. is so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that is bananas. Like it's your shit. It's not my job. Like, it's yeah. like especially like it's your basic, like keys, wallet, phone, right? Like, right. I'm not supposed to know the whereabouts of your personal artifacts in this moment. You're not even coming at me, right? You're just like trying to find your shit. And I'm over here being like, wow, Tina, what a wife. Why don't you know where it is? What are you doing? (laughs) So I say that to say, I don't have it all figured out. This is a, this is a, how do you stop the tape from just playing, right? How do you get Mm -hmm. off the autopilot of saying sorry or shrinking yourself or not feeling like you deserve to speak up in that meeting? And I, so I don't have magic to offer. I do, in my world, it often looks like baby steps. It looks like tiny little decisions, choices, efforts that actually aren't tiny at all and have a really huge impact later, right? So trying really hard, I did this all last year. And it, I think it really did help me to stop saying sorry in emails mm. and text messages, Yeah, right? We say that word a lot, but we type that word a lot, especially yeah, if you're someone like me who is first, like consistently behind on email. I'm just mm-hmm. forever behind on email. And so then it felt like every time I wrote an email, the sentence was, sorry for the delay. Sorry for the delay. And that just starts to wear on you. It starts to make you feel shameful and guilty for being a human in the world. And so how can you make like a small little change, right? So I read on Instagram that if I say, thank you for your patience, instead of sorry mm-hmm. for the delay, mm-hmm. I'm still acknowledging that you waited for me. Mm-hmm. I'm still, I'm not just like pretending I didn't take five days to get back to you, but I'm not apologizing for being a human in the world who isn't permanently attached to my email, right? Yeah. And so for that, like that one little switch of typing the word made a big difference in the way that I felt or showed up. And I think the other thing, for me, the tiny, and it's not tiny, it's hard uh, as a plus size body. When I get on airplanes, I, I have that sentence of like, I'm not allowed to advocate for myself. Mm-hmm. I should be in a smaller body. I, sh- I just should feel guilty for sitting next to this person. And so then that small little choice is to know, is to say to myself as I board this airplane, that I am just as worthy of every other person on this plane of sitting in this seat. And I shouldn't have to change my body or look different 
to belong on this plane. And that simple, like that simple ritual of you deserve to be here and you don't have to be different to be here makes me sit a little more tall, Mm -hmm. feel a little less like I'm apologizing for myself or shrinking myself the whole time. Mm -hmm. So where is one place in your life? Is it emails? Is it your relationship with your partner or your boss or your coworkers? Is it meditating and taking deep breaths every day and letting your mantra be that you're worthy? Whatever that is, right? Find one little thing because it won't be little. It's actually gigantic to stop typing the word sorry or to sit in your worthiness without apologizing for it. it just if we let it feel small, it feels way easier than being like, I'm going to be the world's most confident woman today because that's yeah. probably not how it's going to go down. Yeah. But I'll make that one choice. And that one choice starts to build and build and build and build and build. And so that's the, if I'm offering advice, that's it. It's taking that, yeah. finding one small place, I think is really helpful. Definitely. And I mean, I mean, we've seen it within ourselves too. A, a big conversation that Julie and I had last year was when we chose our words for 2021, such a big goal of mine was to embody being unapologetic or being more unapologetic than I was because there were so many instances. I mean, I could have you here forever in which I just was shrinking myself or excusing things not excusing, apologizing for things that like did not need an apology. Um, I don't apologize to me like three times in a sentence for like, like 10 minutes late. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. And, and a lot of that actually worked with Julia and our partnership uh, throughout the past year is like, me kind of experimenting with her and as opposed to even if it meant something like spending time together when she was in New York um as opposed to over explaining all these reasons why I like couldn't see her one day instead just being like hey here's what I have but here's another day that I have and something that we really discussed too is that being unapologetic and I love that you touched on this um indirectly doesn't mean that you're being selfish. And it also doesn't mean that you're being careless about someone else. So I think there can be a misconception that like, oh, you know, you're prioritizing yourself in this way. You must be ignoring other people's feelings and emotions. No, it's just taking a different sense on it and not shaming yourself or whatever it is. So I definitely saw it with little things that I did, even if it meant not over explaining, not using the word just in every single email, um, whenever I would say something like such a little thing that I it's tricky, but, um, overall anyways, between that and between, I love that you brought up the body image thing, just because I think that's such a huge thing for people. I know for myself and for Julia, I've definitely struggled with my body image. Everybody does in some capacity, some more extreme than others. And I know something that we navigated, especially through the pandemic, as we had a lot of friends who felt that their bodies were changing and ultimately didn't want to, you know, show up to events and whatnot because they felt ashamed of what they looked like. And we found that for them, encouraging them and showing them that showing up to events with us safely um, and for us to be able to prove to them, like, we love you literally no matter what you look like. We love you for your energy. We love you for your presence. We love you for just what you bring here, your friendship. Um, and we found that like little things like that, like putting yourself in situations that you might originally be resistant against, um, was one of those ways to kind of garner that evidence of like, oh, they're not looking at my body at all. Um, and neither is superior or inferior. So love everything that you shared. Yeah. I think boundaries are something that I am learning at 34 that we have never, ever, ever talked about or intentionally taught to anybody, but because the world is subliminally telling women all the time that having boundaries is selfish and bad, 
then we not only, so nobody gets the lesson out of how to set boundaries. My husband doesn't know how to set boundaries. My mom is right. Like nobody got the memo. <laughs> and then because we're women, then the added pressure of, oh wait, you're setting a boundary. I'm so sorry. I thought you were here to be in service of literally everybody mm-hmm. else on the planet. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. no, that's not weird. <laughs> this is really uncomfortable for all of us. Like we're not supposed to do it. And so we have no idea how to do it. Mm-hmm. ever with like zero understanding of what boundaries are or how to set them in a healthy way, how to communicate them in a meaningful way. And so then there's so much shame, right? There's so much guilt. There's so much, I don't even know how to have this conversation without over explaining it to you. Like I, like me saying I need Saturday morning to myself feels like something I need to write you a term paper about so that you don't hate me, right? Like there's so mm-hmm. much energy and a lot of this practice of not shrinking yourself, practice of taking up space in the world, I think can come back to maybe that little choice is a boundary, right? Maybe it's a boundary of, um, and sometimes boundaries are closing off from things. Sometimes setting a boundary is opening up to other things, right? So a lot of the way that we think about boundaries is, is kind of toxic um, and certainly negative. And I think if we can shift the way we think about boundaries to be positive, then we can allow boundaries and self-advocacy to feel less shameful, because it's not, and we have every right to do it, whether it be about our bodies or when we go to parties or don't, or whether we're 10 minutes late or whether we feel like we need alone time, right? Like there's just boundaries are something that I'm very actively learning about and then trying to figure out how to teach because we, we didn't learn and we need to. Yeah. I think, I think boundaries is one of the things that Brenda and I have learned the most about in these past couple of years. And you know, largely, largely due to speaking, you know, with women very, very slightly older than us about their experience with it. And it has given us, you know, the, the window to see like, oh, maybe that's something I should start being aware of and get ahead of. And I, I, I I know for me, I don't want to speak for Brenda, but I, I see it in Brenda's actions of that. That's something that we are, are still learning, but have really taken kind of like that learning curve on the past couple of years and be like, oh, this is something that like we need to do. Like we need to set yeah. boundaries in order to Absolutely. in order to be good, to be good friends, to be good partners, to be good uh, team members. Like the when we're able to do that for ourselves, it does it does make us show up better in the world because then we're not resentful. We're not mm-hmm. out, we're yes. not, you know, down and it's it's a learning process like totally one of those things that you need to like keep learning it's not a one and done but we have I we've both been experiencing that a lot and something that you said before about I just wanted to circle back to doing the little things like not saying Mm -hmm. sorry in the email it's it's interesting and in turn and in especially in terms of confidence because we're, we're in a society where we're so showy, like it needs to be something you can show, like, you know, what, what can you put on Instagram? What, how do you show up in the world in this like way that, um, people see, and it's hard sometimes to do the little things, those little, little things, because it feels like, oh, well, I can't show that to anybody. Sure. No one's going to see that I'm doing that work. Yeah. But we're learning that that work, those little things, that compound interest of that work is mm-hmm. what really makes the big difference rather. And especially what really makes the big difference, I think, in terms of confidence and self-belief, instead of just like posting the beautiful picture on Instagram that makes you feel confident for an hour. Yeah. You know, that the doing the little things that gonna are going to compound that confidence 
self-confidence or compound that self-belief or move you forward in a way it's, it's hard to do because it's not so showy and we're in yeah. a culture that is so showy, but I think it's just such an important point that you made that it's the little things. Yeah. And that is like what really builds it. Yes. And I love that you're drawing, putting those worlds together because it's a hundred percent true. And it's almost always, always, always the little things. It's almost always the little things. Hang on. My camera doesn't got real blurry. So I'm just going to stop the video and then turn it back on. It is the little things like if think about taking care of your body, right? Is not necessarily joining, remember like P90X or these like, I'm going to get fit tomorrow, right? And like you posted, and there are plenty of people that participate in those programs. And if that works for you, like get assist. But it's often like, yes, sure. Workout, sure. And what snack did you have? And did you put things in your body that your body needs to function? And have you had enough water? And the part of health that we forget so often is how many hours did you sleep last night? Like, are you taking care of your body in these tiny little steps, right? Like I learned a lot about the little stuff that makes a big difference. Um, especially in the last couple of years, I think this has been true in my life for a long time, but self-advocacy matters to me, but advocacy for marginalized communities matters a lot to me too. And it's not about posting a black square on Instagram. It's about reading a book by an author of color and a different perspective that you've never had before. It's about following more women of color or queer women or trans women on the internet and having those women invade your feed and your vantage point. And those little things that actually aren't little are what make you more aware and a better advocate and a better human being in the world. And that's true the way that we take care of our bodies. It's the true the way we advocate for other people. And it's true of the way that we get better at advocating for ourselves. And it's not always the sexy thing on Instagram, but it, I think those, those small things are what actually make the large impact over time. Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. And speaking of advocating for other women, you're a big proponent for women bringing up other women, building up other women. Uh, I think that that is like so beyond important and we get further when we're all going together. Um, but there is still this notion that there's competition and, you know, sometimes there might be in a specific instance, but what is your kind of view on this idea of, you know, building up other women, women working together, women friendships, while still being able to, you know, fight for your seat at the table, but doing it in a way that is bringing us up together, building up other women. Yeah, uh, this is uh, this is at the core of the work that I do in the world as a speaker. Um, and if you've seen me speak, which you two have, but in general, many of you have not. So hi. Um, all of my story comes from the fact that I never, ever, ever had close relationships with women until I was in my like mid twenties, and that's because. Well, several reasons, but the way that I can pinpoint it or articulate it the most clearly is that when I was really little, my mom said to me, boys are dumb and girls are mean. So pick one. And I will never forget hearing that. I heard it several times and I was like, okay, well, dumb sounds a hell of a lot easier than mean. So, yeah. okay. And I started spending all of my time with men. When I got married a couple of years ago, I had five bridesmen like that, like all of my close friends through elementary, middle school, all the way have been men because somebody told me that girls were mean and I believed it. And, mm -hmm. and many of us have had that sentiment. Girls are mean proven to us so many times that it starts to feel like fact. Mm -hmm. Lots of us can tell stories about times that boys or men have hurt us, but most of us women identified humans can tell stories about a time that a woman identified human hurt us, made us mm -hmm. feel small, made us feel not good enough. 
So it doesn't just feel like this cute little story my mom told me. It feels like fact. It feels like that woman who undercut you at an audition to get the part ahead of you, like you had that, like if that life experience happened to you, of course that feels very real. If you've had women step over you or throw you under the bus at work, of course that's what it feels like. And so then this reputation, this notion gets created that women are mean, women are catty, women are competitive with each other. And the hard part about trying to do work in the world to eliminate those sentences and those concepts is that they're not just myths. There are plenty of us that can cite stories that make them true. And so then when I think about how women entered my world and made me better, and then how to, how to take that with us into college, into sorority, into young professional life, all the way through before, like where we volunteer and in our families, right? Yes, women have hurt me. And more so women have made me feel less alone in the world. The relationships and friendships that I have built with women have made me feel less alone, less crazy, less uh, isolated, less dramatic, less, um, less, like less, less alone in the sense that it makes it easier because it feels like I'm not the only one carrying the load. And sometimes as a woman in the world, I feel like I'm the only one carrying it and I'm not because you're carrying it and you're carrying it and she's carrying it and they're carrying it. And a lot of the walls that we've been taught to build between us and other women, we've been taught that those walls protect us, but they don't. Those, I mean, they might, those walls might actually protect us from getting hurt from somebody who doesn't have our best interests at heart. Mm. But I think more than they protect us, they make us lonely. They isolate us. And so how can we turn some of those walls into bridges? So now when I go into companies and organizations and corporations, the whole goal is to identify that we have built walls between us and other women at work or in our families or where we volunteer and they're not serving anybody. They feel Mm -hmm. like they are, but they're not. And how can we tear down at least part of the way and build a bridge instead? Because when we communicate, when we come together, A, we all feel less alone in the world. Mm-hmm. B, we get to make the world better for women. Julia, you're absolutely right. We see the table, right? We see the table and it only has 10 chairs at it. And based on everything we've seen about that table and all the watching through the windows we've done at that table, there's only ever, of the 10 chairs, there's only two of them that are ever filled with women. So when mm-hmm. we see that, it tells us I'm fighting for one of those two spots. And anybody else who's also fighting for those two spots is now competing against me. Okay, mm-hmm. why don't, what if instead of fighting for those two chairs, what if we just build more chairs and put more chairs at the table? And it is way easier for me to force another chair into the room if I do it with four other women or 40 other women. And so I don't think it's a matter, it doesn't have to be a matter of fighting for those two chairs only. It can be a matter of building a bigger table, building more chairs. And if we're not building a bigger table, then we're just bringing our own chairs from home and we're just going to get all of those white men out of the way and add <laughs> let's sit cozy at the table we can probably fit 20 people here folks let's go and so it is not an easy mentality shift um Mm -hmm. and because we've been proven wrong we've been proven that women will hurt us so it's not easy and I don't mean to make light of it it is a tough sell Uh, but I genuinely believe that it is a sell worth making and I will stand on Mm -hmm. stages uh, whether there's three people or three thousand in the room and try to get us to tear down those walls even one brick at a time and put those bricks into bridges instead because we need each other yeah 
Oh, that was so powerful and I couldn't agree more, both of us. I know for a fact on this one, I can speak for Julia because I know she believes it too. Um, but in, in all seriousness, it's it's so much of why we put the show together. It's crazy because for so long, I feel like we hide behind walls or hide behind things that we're ashamed of. But the reality is I've never felt more connected to people or even like to my own self or more like authentically me than when I chose to tear those walls down and it's like these things that we thought were so scary and not to invalidate it I'm sure a lot of the things we're ashamed of or whatever are scary and feel scary but at the same time being able to hear someone else say yeah me too like hey thanks for sharing that I've been struggling with that same thing and like now I don't yes. like that's yes. such a connecting thing and we've been able to see that time and time again through guests that we've had on the show through conversations that we've had together and that's the whole reason why we started the show we would go on these little walks at our like local fake mountain and we just started like pouring our hearts out instead of being like oh yeah this is what I did today it was like I'm feeling this way are you feeling this way too other people have to be feeling this way yes. <laughs> um yes and yeah we and just I think never Sorry, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. No, no, that was Finish it. Finish your sentence, please. That was it. No, I just said I've never felt more connected. Yes. And I, the only other thing I'll add, I know I want to be respectful of Todd. The only other thing I'll add is that the only people, the question that I'm trying to ask myself more often is who is this wall serving? Because it isn't serving me, but it's serving somebody, right? And so to, I read the book, She Said, and it is written by the women who essentially exposed Harvey Weinstein and helped take Toronto's Burke Me Too movement more mainstream than it had been before, right? Being able, like the day, I will never forget the day on Facebook where all of these hashtags of Me Too showed up, right? Um, and so the, the story of these women breaking this article, learning this information, doing all of the research that went into telling these stories is powerful because it reminds us that the, the sentence Me Too is insanely powerful. It is yeah. like bonkers powerful. Yeah. And the reason we haven't been saying it, whether it be about sexual assault or sexual violence or body image or mental health is because it serves other people for us not to be together. It serves other people. Mm -hmm. If we women are spending all of our time in the world competing against each other, that makes life pretty easy for the men in the world who don't have to worry about us because we're too busy worrying about us. And so it serves other people. If we are so busy fighting with each other, then I'm not going to fight with him. I'm not going to call him on that bullshit. I'm not going to acknowledge the incredible unfair treatment you're giving that person of color or the yeah. blatantly racist things you're saying in that email. Because I'm too busy worried about the fact that Brenda didn't see, see me on an email that she should have. And I'm pretty sure it's because Brenda thinks I don't deserve to work here. And now we're going to mm -hmm. fight about it. And like, Steve is over there being a douchebag and no one calling <laughs> him out because we're too busy breaking into each other. And like, Yep. What if we were like, yo, Brenda, I'm on your team. Julia, would you like to be on our team too? Great. Can we talk about Steve? Because yep. I think he's a dick and I think we should talk about it. What if okay. instead, how much faster could we have exposed people like that if we talked to each other? Oh yeah. How much faster could we actually change how little we get paid in comparison to other people? If we talked about it instead of talking about, can you believe she brings a salad every day? You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's just... It yeah. serves other people if we waste our time in fighting than if we just get on each other's team. And I'm tired of serving other people. I'm ready to serve our people. And that yeah. just requires us to lower those walls. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, so powerful and so unbelievably true. 
women need to talk to each other and we need to we need to do it all together I mean really that is like why we started this show and Tina you like we can't thank you enough for like coming and joining this conversation because you know we are all less alone when we tear down those walls and we share these things and it makes us stronger being vulnerable does not make us weaker it makes us so much stronger because we are stronger together and we're so grateful to have you here and you know the community of women behind you because building community is so unbelievably important and it's going to get us really far and we're very very grateful we could go on with you forever tina but we have literal hours literal hours literal hours like hang out could ask a million bajillion more questions but we'll just ask you two little ones before we wrap it up here um we ask this to all our guests if you tina could tell your 20s year old self one thing what would you tell her i was thinking about this a lot and obviously in the i believe women need women but i don't think this generation of women needs to hear that as much as i needed to hear that i think there's a lot of the learning curve i think is a little lighter and i think there's plenty of us who have seen that it's better for us to come together and so I'm going to go a little off book, a little, a little not on that specific message, although I eat, sleep, breathe deeply that message every single day of my life. I think the two sentences I wish somebody had said to me in my 20s um, that are, that is not women need women. Um, I think the first one is um, that your body is on your team. Mm. I feel like I spent a lot of my twenties and a lot of my thirties and I'm still unlearning this lesson that I was like fighting with my body all the time. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot of weight to carry around emotionally, physically, mentally, right? It's just, so, it's, it's so hard to go through life every single day when you feel like you're fighting your body, but your body's on your team. And mm-hmm. as soon as I started treating my body, like she was on my team, instead of talking shit about her, um, which I still have to work hard to do every day. My life got better and my health got better. So um, your body's on your team, number one. Number two, uh, you are going to break up with your friends. Mm. And it is hard and we don't ever talk about it. Okay, we need to do a separate episode on that. I gotta write a book about it. We need to do a separate episode on that. (laughs) Yes, because nobody told me, like I knew I was gonna have romantic breakups, but like nobody told me how much it was gonna be painful or necessary sometimes to break up with my friends. Mm. And, and I love stories like yours. They bring me so much joy. We're like, we've literally known each other since elementary school. And I'm so envious that that, like, I love that your, your relationship brings me so much joy and purpose. And I want that for everybody. And there's going to be some people you were friends with in elementary school. We probably shouldn't be friends with anymore because they treat you like crap or they make you feel terrible or you compare yourself. Like there's plenty of, and we don't, no one ever told us that it's going to happen, how to do it healthily or that it's allowed to hurt, that it's allowed to be sad. That that, so you're going to break up with your friends and it's not okay in a sense that it doesn't matter. It matters a great deal and it's going to be okay. You're allowed to break up with your friends and you're going to be okay. It's just really hard. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Those are definitely things that I know for a fact people need to hear. Um, it's not talked about enough and you know we've seen it in friends that we've had, whether it's with mutual friends we've had or 
friends of theirs that we've never met. Um, and it's a really hard and painful thing. So definitely going to have a follow-up episode, you guys, for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, there's um, no choice, Tina. You need to come back now. Yeah, so we just like, need you all the time. <laughs> you have to come back. Third co-host. Um, and our last question for you, Tina, is where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Maybe if they want to have you speak at one of their events, how can they connect with you? Yeah, Instagram's the easiest place to be friends with me. First of all, I'm a delightful follow on Instagram, all right? <laughs> My husband is sexy. My baby is adorable. Our I'm baby delightful. is so cute. I know, right? And like objectively cute. Like not just because I think he's cute. No, like Gerber baby like, cute. Gerber Objectively baby cute. adorable. Yeah. So that's most of my content that and the food that I eat in the world. Yeah. But also I talk a lot about things like this and yeah. want desperately to bring women together in a community where we have real conversations and tear down walls. So Instagram is the easiest place to find me. If you want me to speak, you slide into my DMs. You just want to be friends, slide into my DMs. So I'm Tina Ray Van on all social media. Um, Ray is spelled R-A-E. That's my middle name. So I'm Tina Ray Van. That's also my website. That's also like literally you Google Tina Ray Van and that's where you'll find me. But um, I would love for people to join this community of women and you'll learn about persist there you'll learn about you'll hear me rant and yell about a lot of things so if this episode is not fun for you then you definitely should not follow me on instagram <laughs> but if you enjoyed this then you should follow me on instagram because it's pretty much the same stuff except we just need to get brenda and julia on my instagram so that we can bring hey. it all together that's the next whenever step here. let's go <laughs> incredible tina thank you so so much we are so grateful for your time and your energy and your wisdom and i want everyone right now to go and like text one of their female friends that they love and tell them that they're a fucking badass like yes you do that right now because <laughs> that I'm brings me so much joy do this conversation me. right like yes. how, how good energy. would you feel to receive that text so like go well, text the woman that you love right now please text her and then she's gonna text you back and be like are you drunk yeah, 100%. And you're not. I mean, maybe you are. Get it. Maybe. But if you're not, like, let's just do it more often so she doesn't think you're drunk every time you tell her she's exactly. That's Please. the dream. That's I the dream. It. I love it. All right, Tina, thank you again. You have been so incredible. Everyone give Tina a follow on Instagram for more of this amazing energy. And goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Roaring Twenties Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With love, Brenda and Julia. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.